You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Happy hello to you all. Welcome to the Attaboy Clarence podcast. It was occurring to me the other day that any new listeners to this show may not know what on earth is going on in their ears. Those of you that have been with me for a while know all about Canterbury's and You Have Failed Monks and Hamfway and everything else. So for any new listeners, let's go through a few things. Canterbury is a good thing. In order to be awarded a Canterbury, you either have to have saved an old lady from a fire, survived a fight with a horny gorilla, or been just plain awesome to this podcast. Canterbury. You have failed, monk. You have failed, monk. Is the phrase that epitomizes failure. Say it to your children when they have failed, and watch as they grow into wonderfully capable human beings. Say it to a stranger and feel the chill. And here to explain the so-called format of this show is a sexually repressed BBC announcer from the 40s. Good afternoon. The Attaboy Clarence podcast is hosted by Adam and generally consists of an introductory diatribe, classic radio advertisements, of which Adam is inclined to poke fun, a scattering of classic movie reviews, and the presentation of a classic slice of radio drama from Hollywood's golden age, tenuously linked to the aforementioned diatribe of Aeneas. I thank you. Alternatively, let's try an explanation from a cockney landlord from a Basil Rathbone Sherlock Holmes movie. Well, Governor, the basic explanation of the Hatterboy Clarence podcast is that it's a collection of numerous observations on the classic hearts of cinema and radio, generally consisting of a few reviews and a rebroadcasting of a vintage episode of Whole Time Radio. I've also got a Dutch porn star version. Hello, if you please. I'm uh, very much like to uh, make a f with you. I'm uh, very much uh, professional on the bedroom where I enjoy to sleep, uh, to make a sex on you, and uh, to listen to the Hatterboy Clarence podcast, who has uh, very much reviews for the uh, black and white uh, cinema movies, and the uh, presenting of uh, to you the uh, radio advertisings and the passionate uh, feelings of a fictional radio playing uh, to your ears, if you please. <laughs> Everything clear now? Excuse me, can you tell me where the Conleys live? Why, yes, they live above the brothel. It's the, uh, the greenhouse at the end of the street. Uh, I, I mean, I'm, I'm told that it is. But but the Conleys aren't home. They've, uh, they've gone to Mexico to score some cocaine and uh, pick up a ransom. Oh, we called them long distance. They're expecting us. Thank you. We called them long distance. They're expecting us. Well, shut my mouth. Wherever you go... Go first by long distance. Rates are low. I got a brilliant message from Sharice Benton this week, who's been teaching her 17-month-old niece, can I, some interesting tricks. Say Canterbury. <laughs> Canterbury. 
Say Canterbury. Canterbury. Stop staring at yourself. Say Canterbury. Bobby. <gasps> there we go. Canterbury. Bobby, boy, boy. Canterbury. Canterbury. Amazing! Apparently, Kanai likes nothing better than dancing the tango, being held upside down, and reciting the dialogue of mad actors from 1945's The Brighton Strangler. I can't think of a better tribute to The Brighton Strangler than to say that I pretty much guarantee that when they made that film 69 years ago, not one single person involved could have possibly imagined that in 2014, 17 month old children were acting out portions of its screenplay. Thank you so much, Cherise, and thank you, Kanai. I do hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. I do hope you've danced your tango this morning and eaten all of your breakfast and that you're not feeling too sick at being held upside down right now. Do me a favour, can I, and try and learn this one. You have failed, monk. Trust me, it'll come in really handy throughout your life. Especially when it comes to men. Incidentally, if anyone would like to see Kanai giving it some strangler, then the video is on the Facebook page. Also, must mention that I make an appearance on the most recent edition of the Stinking Paws podcast, where Charlie and Scott take a brilliant look back at Alfred Hitchcock's North by Northwest. That's episode 37, if you're sifting through them all, and you can find them at stinkingpaws.com. One of the best movie shows out there, so do run along and subscribe. And thank you so much, guys, for having me on. Really honored. Father's Day is on its way, and here's a quick quiz for the ladies. What type of man is the head of your house? Is he rugged in the great outdoors? Does he help with household chores? Is he losing his hair but strangely becoming more handsome as a result? Is his obsession with technology slowly improving all your lives? Whichever type I, I, he... I, I'm not finished yet. Is he a treasure in the kitchen? And is he always running out of socks? Okay, go on. Whichever type he is... He's bound to be the Old Spice type. So you and the kids treat him to Old Spice by Shulton. Finest grooming aids a man can use. Give Old Spice aftershave lotion. Brisk and bracing. Happiest ending a shave ever had. Obviously never been to the Saint-Tropez massage parlor in Swindon, then. Or something new in sets. Aftershave lotion, men's cologne, and stick deodorant. Handy for travel in a bright red box. Two dollars. Or splurge with the captain's box. Five great grooming aids in one handsome box. Five dollars. Funnily enough, I'm pretty sure that splurging on the captain's box was on the menu at the Saint-Tropez massage parlor. I think it was five dollars, too. Old Spice means quality. Said the captain to the bosun. And on the package with the ship that sailed the ocean. So we come to that time of year when people begin to watch that peculiar genre of film, the Christmas movie. Everyone has their favourite, don't they? Weirdly, no other time of year has managed to create its own genre of movie as successfully as Christmas. Perhaps it's the holiday itself with all its underlying themes of togetherness and love and goodwill that managed to inspire some truly great ideas in cinema. This podcast gets its name from my favourite movie of all time. It's the last line spoken it's a wonderful life. Funnily enough, some people have thought that the podcast was named after me and that my name was Clarence. If my name was Clarence, I'd have killed myself long ago. Anyway, so at this festive time of year, in the run-up to Christmas, I always re-watch It's a Wonderful Life. Not because it's a Christmas movie, really only tenuously linked 
after Christmas, but because it always reaffirms my faith in humanity and reignites my love for cinema in general. For those of you that haven't seen it, the film opens on a sleepy American town named Bedford Falls, where we hear a number of prayers being said on behalf of one George Bailey, who's deep in the middle of a crisis. We watch as the prayers find their way upwards until we're looking at the universe itself, where a collection of angels decide that something must be done about George Bailey's problems. Hello, Joseph. Trouble? Looks like we'll have to send someone down. A lot of people asking for help for a man named George Bailey. George Bailey? Yes, tonight's his crucial night, you're right. We'll have to send someone down immediately. Whose turn is it? That's why I came to see you, sir. It's that clockmaker's turn again. Oh, Clarence hasn't got his wings yet, has he? We've passed him up right along. Because you know, sir, he's got the IQ of a rabbit. Yes, but he's got the faith of a child. Simple. Joseph, send for Clarence. The angel chosen is Clarence Oddbody, a second-class angel who's been trying for centuries to win his first-class wings. You sent for me, sir? Yes, Clarence. A man down on Earth needs our help. Splendid. Is he sick? No, worse. He's discouraged. At exactly 10.45 p.m. Earth time, that man will be thinking seriously of throwing away God's greatest gift. Oh, dear, dear, his life. Then I've only an hour to dress. What are they wearing now? You will spend that hour getting acquainted with George Bailey. Sir, if I should accomplish this mission, I mean, uh, might I perhaps win my wings? I've been waiting for over 200 years now, sir, and people are beginning to talk. What's that book you've got there? Oh, The Adventures of Tom Sawyer. Clarence, you do a good job with George Bailey, and you'll get your wings. Oh, thank you, sir. Thank you. Poor John. We're then taken on a whirlwind tour through George Bailey's life. We see him save his younger brother from drowning as a child and losing the hearing in his left ear as a result. George saved his brother's life that day, but he caught a bad cold which infected his left ear, cost him his hearing in that ear. It was weeks before he was able to go back to his after-school job at Old Man Gower's drugstore. We see him thwart a fatal accident where the town's druggist, Mr. Gower, has accidentally put poison in a medicine capsule for a little boy. George spots the mistake and stops the druggist from accidentally killing the boy. Mr. Gower, you don't know what you're doing. You put something wrong in those capsules. I know you're really upset. You got the telegram and you're upset. You put something bad in those capsules. It wasn't your fault, Mr. Gower. <laughs> Just look and see what you did. Look at the bottle you took the powder from. It's poison, I tell you, it's poison. I know you feel bad. Oh. Don't do my story again. Oh, no, Don't no, do no, my no. story again. Oh, God. <laughs> so hard. Oh, Mr. Gower, I would never tell anyone. I know you're feeling. I would have killed so. Hope to die, I would. George Bailey grows up to be a dreamer. All he wants to do is leave the town and have an adventure. He wants to travel, he wants to build things, but every time he looks as though he's about to escape, something or someone prevents him from doing so. As the film goes on, we see the extent of George's sacrifices as he gives up everything he loves to make the people around him happy. And so because a deep resentment is building in him throughout his life at his missed chances, he's unaware that he's become the town's hero. And when a terrible event happens that threatens to finish George off for good, he comes to the conclusion that it would have been better if he'd never been born. Heaven and Clarence Oddbody, Angel's second class, though, have other ideas about that. Why do you want to save me? 
That's what I was sent down for. I'm your guardian angel. I wouldn't be a bit surprised. Ridiculous of you to think of killing yourself for money. Eight thousand dollars. Yeah, now, think, just things like that. Now, how do you know that? I told you I'm your guardian angel. I know everything about you. Well, you look about like the kind of an angel I'd get. Sort of a fallen angel, aren't you? What happened to your wing? I haven't won my wings yet. That's why I'm an angel second class. Clarence decides to grant George's wish and show him what the world would have been like if he'd never been born. And it isn't long before George realizes that he really had a wonderful life and that adventures or not, everything he ever wanted was right there in front of him. Clarence! Clarence! Help me, Clarence! Get me back! Get me back, I don't care what happens to me! Get me back to my wife and kids. Help me, Clarence, please. Please. I want to live again. I want to live again. I want to live again. Please, God, let me live again. What follows is, in my opinion, the most uplifting most devastatingly perfect ending in cinema as George returns home and finds out just how much he's meant to his friends throughout his life. There aren't many films that have me in tears at the umpteenth watch, but the line to my big brother George, the richest man in town, gets me absolutely every time I see it. What I love so much about the film is that it's so perfectly crafted. Every single tiny piece slots together to create a dazzling whole. Firstly, the cast is sensational. You have James Stewart in perhaps his defining role as the good-hearted American everyman, George Bailey. Donna Reed as the bewitching girl next door that he marries. Lionel Barrymore as cinema's biggest bastard, the archetypal Frank Capra evil banker, all withered and black-hearted. Henry Travers as Clarence, what perfect casting. Thomas Mitchell as Mad Uncle Billy, Sam Hines and Beulah Bondi as George's parents. Lillian Randolph, who played the housekeeper in all those Tom and Jerry cartoons as the housekeeper. Gloria Graham, Frank Albertson, Todd Carnes, Ward Bond, H.B. Warner, Bobby Anderson, Sheldon Leonard, Carolyn Grimes. You're probably wondering who half these people are. These actors were the absolute cream of the supporting players during the Golden Age. A few Oscar nominees in there. To have them all in one film and watching each one bring a nuanced little character to life is such a treat. It really is a gallery of superstars here. Secondly, all the tiny little touches, such as the moment when Mary and George are children and she whispers a confession of love into his deaf ear, or breaking the glass of the old house to make wishes come true, or the record player turning the chicken over the fire on George and Mary's wedding night. Welcome home, Mr. Bailey. Plus, I love the wild swings in direction. You're watching a tender love story one moment and a horrifying descent into madness the next. So many blindingly bright moments and so many long shadows just like life itself. Look at you. You used to be so cocky. You were going to go out and conquer the world. You once called me a warped, frustrated old man. What are you with a warped, frustrated young man? Miserable little clerk crawling in here on your hands and knees and begging for help. No securities, no stocks, no bonds, nothing but a miserable little... $500 equity and a life insurance policy. <laughs> You're worth more dead than alive. 
If you want proof of how differently people see it when they watch it, Time magazine said that it's humour and affection for human beings keep it glowing with life and excitement. Whereas Richard Cohen for Salon wrote that It's a Wonderful Life was the most terrifying Hollywood film ever made. Perhaps it's just that I'm a sucker for Capricorn, but I want to live in Bedford Falls. By the end of the movie, you are a resident yourself. You know everyone in town, and you've been transported to a gentler time where one man could be the glue that binds a community together, a time that's sadly disappeared now. Anyway, It's a Wonderful Life was adapted for radio numerous times and variously starred many of the original cast with James Stewart in productions that ran from 25 to 60 minutes long. Perhaps the best job was done by, as always, the Lux Radio Theatre, who in 1947 produced an hour-long version starring James Stewart and Donna Reed in their original roles with Victor Moore as Clarence. So let's drop in on that version right now. Tonight we bring you one of the season's most inspiring hits, a Liberty Films production that's been nominated for the highest screen award. Yes, it's a wonderful life. And we present it now with its original fine stars, Jimmy Stewart and Donna Reed. Jimmy in the role which won him a nomination for the best performance of the year. Also in our cast is starred that fine comedian, Victor Moore. It's a Wonderful Life is the drama of a typical American. Might be you, it might be me. He dreams of glory, he lives in hope, he loves and doubts, uh, and only providence puts a final value on his service to humanity. Our story starts before the war, when life was normal. Shortages were generally unknown, and simple luxuries like Lux Soap were abundant. I won't say that's the only reason people said it's a wonderful life, but I do know from the thousands of letters in our files that most of them said... It's a wonderful soap. And they keep right on saying it day after day. In fact, the popularity of Lux Soap is what makes it possible to present such entertainment as Frank Capra's great production, It's a Wonderful Life, starring Jimmy Stewart as George, Donna Reed as Mary Hatch, and Victor Moore as Clarence. This is the story of George Bailey, citizen of Bedford Falls, New York. George Bailey, who more than anything under the sun, wanted to see the world. The wonderful, exciting world that lay somewhere beyond the limits of his hometown. Oddly enough, this story does not begin in Bedford Falls. In fact, it doesn't begin anywhere in the world. It begins in heaven where the superintendent of angels has just summoned an apprentice angel named Clarence. Oh, I, I'm really going down to Earth, sir? Oh, how splendid. Yes. There's a very discouraged man down there, Clarence. George Bailey. At exactly 10.45 p.m., Earth time, he'll be thinking seriously of ending his life. Oh, dear, dear, his life. Now, I want you to stop him if you can. Now, sit down, sit down. I'll give you Bailey's case history. Sir, if... Uh, if I should accomplish my mission, may I perhaps get my wings? I've been waiting over 200 years now, and, well, people are beginning to talk. Clarence, what's that book? The Adventures of Tom Sawyer, sir. 
I was reading it when you sent for me. Oh, fine book. Excellent. Well, you do a good job on George Bailey, and we'll see about your wing. Oh, thank you, sir. Now, listen. When George Bailey was a boy, two events occurred that you should keep in mind. One was when his young brother, Harry, fell through the ice and almost drowned. George saved him. Brother fell through the ice. George saved him. Ever since, George has had a bad ear. All that icy water, uh, you understand. Yeah, bad ear, yes, sir. The other event came a few months later. George used to work after school in Mr. Gower's drugstore. One day, Mr. Gower's only son died of influenza. It was a terrible blow, and poor Mr. Gower tried to lose his grief in whiskey. Where you been, George? Mrs. Blaine's called twice. What happened to her prescription? You lost it, didn't you? No, Mr. Gower. Here it is. Are you good for nothing? Don't you know that Blaine girl's very sick? Mr. Gower, my ear. You're hurting my sore ear. teach you to loaf, you lazy brat. Mr. Gower, you don't know what you're doing. You put something wrong in those capsules. Shut up. Oh, I know you feel bad, but look, Mr. Gower, look. This bottle, you use this bottle to make up the capsules. It's poison. Poison? Don't hurt my sore again, Mr. Poison. Gower. Oh, George. That's what you deliver, Mr. Gower. All I wanted was to make sure. George, George. Well, Clarence, that was George Bailey as a boy. When he grew up, he wanted to go to college, but there just wasn't the money. So he worked four years in the Building and Loan Association. Building and Loan Association? Oh, I forgot to tell you. George's father was in the building and loan business. He and George's uncle, Billy. High ideals and low bank account. Anyway, George worked for his father and saved enough to see him through the university. That summer, though, he was going to Europe. Got a job on a cattle boat. Do a little traveling before college. Boy, oh boy, oh boy, it's hard to realize that my last night in the Bailey boarding house. We're sure going to miss you, George. Oh, I'm going to miss you too, Pop. Hey, what's the matter? You look tired. Oh, I had another tussle with old Henry Potter today. Well, I thought when you put him on the board of directors, he'd ease up. Well, so did I. I just can't understand a man like Mr. Potter. He can't begin to spend all the money I he has. I guess Potter owns about everything he wants in Bedford Falls except our building and loan. That's why he hates us. Hey, George, can I borrow your tuxedo studs? Yeah, help yourself, Harry. Well, where are they? In your suitcase? No, I'm not taking us. Tuxedo on a cattle boat, you know. Say, where'd you get that suitcase anyway? Oh, Mr. Gower, going away present. And one of these days, you're going to see that bag all covered with travel labels. Italy, Baghdad, Samarkand. Could have a pretty full summer, eh? I'm going to have a pretty full life. Hey, why don't you come to the dance tonight? Why, I'd be bored to death. Well, you couldn't want a better death. Lots of pretty girls. Hey, I got to hurry. I wish we could send Harry to college with you, George. No, we've got that all figured out now, Pop. He'll take over my job at the building and loan and work four years like I did, and then he'll go. Well, he's pretty young for that job. Well, no younger than I was. <laughs> Maybe you were born older, George. Huh? George, when you get out of college, I don't suppose you'd come back to the building and loan. Oh, no, no Pop, I, 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 I just couldn't. I, I couldn't face being cooped up the rest of my life in a shabby little office. I, I, well, I'm sorry, Pop, now I... I didn't mean that, but it's just this business of nickels and dimes. I'd go crazy. I, I want to do something big, something important. Well, in a small way, we are doing something important, George. In that shabby little office, we help people figure out how they can own their own homes. I know, I know, Pop. I, I just wish I felt that I... I, I but I, I just feel like if I didn't get away, I'd bust. I... <laughs> You're right, boy. You get yourself an education, then get out of here. Oh, Pop, you... Pop, you want a shock? I think you're a pretty great guy. 
Well, thanks, George. I'm glad to hear it. Look, um, why don't you go on over to Harry's dance? You'd have a good time. Well, I don't know. Maybe I will drop in. Yeah, maybe I will at that. So, George Bailey went to a dance. Is that important, Joseph? Why, it was at the dance he met Mary Hatch. Oh. And three hours later, he was walking her home. George and Mary were feeling pretty good, Clarence. As a matter of fact, wonderful. Buffalo gal, can't you come out tonight? Can't you come out tonight? Can't you come out tonight? Buffalo gal, can't you come out tonight? And dance by the light of the moon. Dog, oh boy, just like an organ. At least. Hey, you know, you know something? If it wasn't me talking, I'd say you were the prettiest girl in town. Well, why don't you say it? I don't know, maybe I will. How old are you anyway? Eighteen. Eighteen? Too young or too old? No, 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 it's just right. It sort of fits you. Hey, hey, look where we are. Hmm? Oh, the old Granville house. Yeah, I gotta throw a rock. Oh, no, don't. I I love that old house. Well, no, don't you know about deserted houses? You, you make a wish and then throw a rock. George, but it, it was such a lovely old place. I wish I lived there. In there? I wouldn't live in it as a ghost. Now, watch. Watch this. Here we go. How about it, huh? Pretty good shot, huh? Broke a window, huh? <laughs> What'd you wish, George? Oh, I don't know. Not just one wish, a whole hat full. Mary, I'm shaking the dust of this crummy little town off my feet, and I'm going to see the world. Italy, Greece, the Parthenon, the Colosseum. And then I'm coming back here and go to college and see what they know. And then I'm going to build things. I'm going to build airfields and skyscrapers a hundred stories high and bridges a mile long. And then I'm going to... Hey. Hey, Mary. What is it you want? What do you want, huh? You want the moon? All you got to do is just say the word now. Okay. The moon, I'll take it. Then what? Then what? Well, well, then you could swallow it. And and it'd dissolve like an aspirin, you know. And the moonbeams would shoot out of your fingers and the ends of your hair. And the, the, uh... You, you think I'm talking too much? Yes, why don't you kiss her instead of talking her to death? How's that? Uh, youth is wasted on the wrong people. Why? Hey, just a minute, mister. Hey, you come back here. I'll show you some kissing George, if you want to. George! Hey, Uncle Billy, look here. I'm going to kiss Mary. Watch. George, get in the car quick. Your father's had a stroke. What? what? George, had... get in. Hurry. Well, George's father died that night, Clarence. So, of course, George couldn't go to Europe. But that fall, just as he was ready to leave for college, the directors of the building and loan had a meeting. They were going to appoint a successor to Mr. What was that you said, Mr. Potter? I said as long as Peter Bailey's dead, let's dissolve the building and loan. We don't need it. Now, wait a minute. Now, you wait a minute. Peter Bailey was not a businessman. Ideals without common sense can ruin a town. What do we get? A discontented, lazy rabble instead of a thrifty working class. Hold on, Mr. Potter. Hold on. I meant no disrespect, George, but... Oh, wait a minute, there. Why my father ever started this cheap penny-ante building and loan, I'll never know. But just remember this, Mr. Potter, this rabble you're talking about, they do most of the working and the paying and living and dying in this community. Well, is it too much to have them work and pay and live and die in a couple of decent rooms and a bath? Anyway, my father didn't think so. People were human beings to him. But to you, a warped, frustrated old man, they're cattle. Well, 
In my book, Mr. Potter, he died a much richer man than you'll ever be. I'm not interested in your book, George. I'm talking about the building and loan. You're talking about something you can't get your fingers on that's galling. That's what you're talking about. Well, this town needs this measly one-horse institution, if only to have some place where people can borrow a few dollars without crawling to you. Now, come on, Uncle Billy. What happened, George? Yeah, all we heard was a lot of yelling. Boy, oh, boy, you should have heard, George. Yeah, they're in there voting us out of business. Oh, who cares? I can get another job. I'm only 41. 45. Will you get out of here, George? You missed your boat trip. Do you want to miss college, too? George, we've just voted Potter down. We're still in business. Whoopee! We're still in business! We're still in business! But there's one condition, George. They've appointed you to take your father's place. Appoint me? But I'm going to college. Look, this is my last chance. Uncle Billy's your man. Uh, George, you've got to take it. They'll vote with Potter otherwise. They said so. They even... I know George Bailey didn't go to college. That's right, Terrence. He gave his, his college money to Harry. Harry went instead. But what happened to that good-looking girl, you know, Mary? Oh, George saw her now and then. Not very often, though, because Mary went away to school, too. Anyway, George waited four years more for Harry to come back and take over the building in Rome. He could still see the world. He planned to work in the oil fields, Venezuela. Except when Harry came home, he wasn't alone. There was a girl with him, his wife. George? Yeah, I'm out here on the porch, Mother. I just thought I'd get some air. Well, how, how do you like your new sister-in-law? Oh, she's swell. Looks like she can keep Harry on his toes. Yeah, yeah, I keep him out of Bedford Falls anyway. What do you mean? Well, Ruth's father, she's, he's got a wonderful job for Harry up in Buffalo. Buffalo? Well, that means you... Yeah. You can't... Yeah. George, uh, did you know Mary Hatch is back from school? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Nice girl, Mary. Mm-hmm. Oh, stop grunting. Mm-hmm. Give me one good reason why you shouldn't call on Mary. Well, Sam Wainwright. Sam's crazy about Mary. Well, she's not crazy about him. Well, now, how do you know that? Did she discuss it with you? How did... Besides, Sam's away in New York. Oh, and all's fair in love and war. Uh-huh, I see. Okay, Mother, I think I'll go out and find that girl and do a little passionate necking. Oh, George. <laughs> Goodbye, Miss Bailey. By the way, do you want any books at the library? Library? George! George, you go and see Mary. Do you hear? George, is that you out there? Oh, oh, hello, Mary. Well, are you coming in? I just happened to be passing by here. Oh, I thought you were picketing. Have you made up your mind? How's that? Have you made up your mind? About what? About coming in. Your mother just phoned. She said you were coming over. My mother just phoned. What does she mean, Carl? I, I, I just happened to be passing by, that's all. I didn't... Well? Well, all right, I'll come in for a minute, but I, I didn't tell anybody I was coming here. You, you feel I can't go out for a walk nowadays without you. When did you, you get back? Tuesday. Mm. When would you get that dress? Do you like it? It's all right. Well, no point standing here on the porch. Come on in. I, I still can't understand it. I didn't tell anybody I was coming here, you know. Would you rather leave? Well, no, I don't want to be rude. <laughs> Sit down for a while. It's nice about your brother and Ruth, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all right. Don't you like her? Well, of course I like her. She's a peach. Oh, just marriage in general you're not enthusiastic about, hmm? No, no. Marriage is all right for a lot of people. It's all right for Harry and... Sam Wainwright, and you. For Sam? Harry? 
It's George Bailey, Mother. What's he want? I don't know. What do you want? Me? I, not a thing. Not a thing, and I, I just came in to get warm. He's making violent love to me, Mother. You just tell him to go right back home. Sam said he'd call you tonight from New York, didn't he? I guess so. How about some music? Uh, you know, your mother needs... You know, I didn't come here to... What did you come here for, then? Uh, I don't know. You're supposed to be the one with all the answers. You tell me. Oh, why don't you go home? I don't know why I came here in the first place. Good night. Good night. Okay, the way you're shouting, you'd think that... You'd think what? All right, I'll get it. George, on your way out, would you mind turning off the phonograph? I'd be very happy to. I've gone crazy, song. Hello? Sam? Mary! Gee, it's good to hear your voice. How are you, Sam? I forgot my hat. Hee-haw. What? Oh, I, I was just talking to an old friend of yours, George Bailey. Oh, Mossback George? Oh, Mossback George. Well, put him on. I'll talk to him, too. Wait a second. George! He doesn't want to speak to George. He does so. He asked for him. Why'd you call me? Because if you are, I, I'm in a hurry. I got... Sam wants to talk to you. Oh. Oh. Hiya, Sam. Hey, fine pal you are, trying to steal my girl. Oh, what do you mean? Nobody's trying to steal anybody's girl. Here, Mary, take the... No, no, here. no, wait, wait, George. I want to speak to you both. Tell Mary to get in the extension upstairs. He says for you to get on the extension upstairs. I can't. Mother's on the extension. I am not. We can both hear, George. Just put your head a little closer. What? Yeah, what? That's, that's better. Uh, we're, we're listening, Sam. Well, I have a big deal coming up that's going to make us all rich. George, you remember that time you told me about making plastics out of soybeans? Soybeans? Yeah. Yeah. Soybeans. Yeah. Well, yeah, my yeah. father's checked into it, George. See? And now he's going to put up a factory. How do you like that? A factory, huh? And yeah. here's the point, George. I may have a job for you unless you're still married to that broken down building and loan. Oh, Mary? Uh, I'm here. You tell that guy I'm giving him a chance of a lifetime. Do you hear? He says it's the chance of a lifetime. And give me that phone. Here's George again, Sam. George. Now, you listen to me, Mary. I don't want any plastics, and I don't want any job, and I don't want to get married ever to anyone. Do you understand that? I want to do what I want to do, and, and you're not going to trick me. And you're... Mary. George. Mary. Oh, Mary, darling, I, I love you, Mary. So George Bailey and Mary Hatch were... Yes, George and Mary were married. Mm. And they started off on their honeymoon in Ernie Bishop's taxi cab. Hey, where are you two going on this here now, honeymoon? We're going to shoot the works, Ernie. A whole week in New York, a whole week in Bermuda, the highest hotel, the oldest champagne, the hottest music, and the prettiest wife. <laughs> so you're finally getting out of Bedford Falls, huh? Then what? Then what, honey? After that, who cares? That does it. Hey, you know, Mrs. Bailey, I haven't kissed you. Hey, since George, I... there's something funny going on over there. Look, look over there at the bank. It looks huh? like a run. All right. Pull over a minute, will you, Ernie? George, let's not stop. Please, let's go straight to the station. No, wait station. a minute. Well, uh, I'd better see what it is. I'll be right back. George, please. George! In a few moments, we'll return with the second act of It's a Wonderful Life, starring Jimmy Stewart as George, Donna Reed as Mary, and Victor Moore as Clarence. back in heaven again, where the superintendent of angels is reviewing the case history of a mortal named George Bailey. 
Clarence, the apprentice angel, is very eager to depart on his mission to the Earth. Poor George Bailey. Oh, he's certainly in desperate trouble, Joseph. I'll go to him at once. Now, you sit down, Clarence. Sit down. We're nowhere near the point where George Bailey's thinking of taking his life. We're not? Now, uh, where were we? Uh, oh, yes, yes. George and Mary had just started out on their honeymoon when they ran smack into the financial panic of 1932. In the waiting room of the building and loan, a hundred frantic people were clamoring for their safety. Hey, what's going on, Uncle Billy? What's happened? All those people out there. This is a pickle, George. All I know is the bank called our loan an hour ago. I had to hand over all our cash. Holy mackerel. Whole town's gone crazy. Bank's in the same spot we are. Our charter. Too. What about our charter? Our charter says we have to stay open until 6 p.m. The state can take away our license if we don't. How can we stay open till 6 without any money? George, where are you going? Out to talk to those people. Come on. Now, please, folks, now, just a minute. Just a minute, now, please. How about our money, George? Where's our money? Now, come on, now, please, now, wait a minute. Wait a minute, now, listen to me. Now, you're thinking of this place all wrong. Your money's not here. Oh, wait a minute, now, let me tell you. Let me tell you, your money's in people's houses, in the Kennedy house, in the McLaren house, and in your house, and a hundred others. Now, what are you going to do, foreclose on them? I got $240 in shares. Now, let me have it. All right, all right, Charlie, now... You'll get your money in 60 days. 60 days? Well, now, look, that's what you thats what you agreed on when you bought your shares. I got my money! Well, yes. Old man Potter's taking over the bank. He'll pay you 50 cents on every dollar. Then let's take our shares to Potter. Half is better than nothing. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Please, folks, I beg of you not to do this. If Potter gets hold of your shares, he'll be owning this building and loan. And he's got the bank, he's got the bus line, he's got the department stores, and now he's after us because he wants to keep you living in his shacks and paying the kind of rent he decides to charge. Now, we can get through this thing, all right, but we've got to stick together. We've got to have faith in each other. My husband's out of work. We need money. I've got doctor bills to pay. I can't feed my kids on faith. You still got some money? Hey, Mary. Here it is, George. You told me to hold on to it. Would have made a nice honeymoon. Bought furniture, too. Hey, now, wait a minute, folks. Listen. I've got $2,000. All right, Charlie, how much do you need? $240. No, Charlie, now listen. Just enough to tide you over. I said $240. Okay, okay. Uncle Billy, give Charlie $240. All right, Ed. Now, how much just to get by on? Oh, $20, I suppose. Now oh, you're talking. Now, you, Mrs. Thompson, how about you? $20 will do me. Good, good. $20. Uncle Billy, pay it back when you can now. Pay it back when you can. All right, all right. Who's next? Look at the clock. Look. Five seconds, four seconds, three, two, one. Six o'clock. We made it. Lock that door, Eustace. Quick. Boy, we're still in business, Uncle Billy. We've even got two bucks left. Hmm? George, there's a call for you. Okay, and then call my wife, will you? She's probably over at Mother's. Mrs. Bailey's on the line. No, I don't want Miss Bailey. I want my wife, Mrs. Bailey. Miss Bailey, that, that's my wife. That's my, uh, give me the phone, will you? Hey, Mary, Ma listen, Mary, I'm sorry, I, I, hmm? Come home, well, what home? Well, 323 Sycamore. Well, whose home is that? What? Well, Mary, how can I, well, sure, all right, sure, I'll, I'll be there. Clarence, guess what 323 Sycamore was? His mother-in-law's house, huh? Oh, no. Number 323 Sycamore was the old Granville house, the one George threw rocks at and made wishes. Yes, sir, that's where they spent their honeymoon. That's where they started housekeeping. They were still living there two years later when old man Potter asked George to stop over at his office. Sit down, George. Sit down, do. Uh, have a cigar? Well, thank you, sir. 
Uh, George, you're a young man, married, making, say, $40 a week at the building and loan. Forty-five. Forty-five. Now, if you were some ordinary yokel, I'd say you were doing fine. But George Bailey is intelligent, ambitious. He hates the building and loan almost as much as I do. He's been dying to get out of town ever since he was born, but he's trapped. Trapped into frittering his life away, playing nursemaid to a lot of garlic eaters. Do I paint a correct picture, George, or do I exaggerate? Well, what's your point, Mr. Potter? My point is that you're the only man in town who has licked me. George, I want to hire you. Manage my affairs. I'll start you off at $20,000 a year. $20,000 a year? Are you sure you're talking to me? I'm George Bailey. Don't you remember me? The building and loan, remember? Yes, George Bailey, whose ship has just come in, providing he has sense enough to climb aboard. Well, but but what about the building and loan? Confound it, man. I'm offering you a three-year contract at $20,000 a year. Is it a deal or isn't it? No, no. The answer's no doggone it. If you offered me a million dollars to stay around this town and play stooge to you, the answer'd still be no. Now, let me alone. Don't bother George, what did Mr. Potter want? Oh, it's nothing. He just talked, talked. It's nothing. Oh, gee. Mary Hatch. Mary, why in the world did you ever marry a guy like me, anyway? <laughs> to keep from being an old maid. I was going to see the world. I was going to build things. I was going to give you the moon. What have I given you? What have I given you? Not even a new dress, not for months. I... Gee whiz, I feel awful. So do I. Mornings especially. I could have married Sam Wainwright, anybody else in town. I didn't want to marry anybody else. I want my baby to look like you. No, you didn't even have a honeymoon. And I promised you that you, 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 you what? My baby. You're, you be, hey, Mary... Mary, you mean you're on the nest? Well, Mary had her baby turns, a boy. You don't say. Then she had another one, a girl. Well, what do you know? Night after night, George had come home late from the office. Things weren't good with the building and loan. Potter was really bearing down on him. Then came the war. Mary had another baby by then. Oh. But she still had time to help out in USO. Uncle Billy sold war bonds. And George's brother Harry became a real hero. Shot down 15 planes. But George, what about George? Well, George was 4F, his bad year. He was an air raid warden. On VE day, he wept and prayed. On VJ day, he wept and prayed again. We're, uh, we're getting... Pretty close to today, aren't we, sir? Yes, Clarence. You now know almost everything you have to know about George Bailey, except what happened that finds him down there at this moment, wanting to die. Well, sir, well... Well, today's the day before Christmas, uh, Earth time. George is pretty excited. Hey, Tilly! Useless! Hey, look at the newspaper. Commander Harry Bailey, decorated by the president. That's my kid brother. The Congressional Medal of Honor. Gosh, George, gosh. What do you think about the 15 Jap planes? And the last one he got was just about to dive into a transport loaded with soldiers. You know what that means? He saved lives, hundreds of lives. 
Gee, where's Uncle Billy? Huh? Well, going to the bank, George. He's oh. depositing that $8,000. Good, good, good. Go. Who's that in his office there? It's that man again, the bank examiner. Uh-oh. Oh, yeah. Well, good afternoon, Mr. Carter. Hey, uh, Telly, get the books from Mr. Carter. Well, you know, that's my brother's picture there, Mr. Carter. He shot down 15 planes, and one of them was... Well, well, Mr. Henry, your father come to the bank to deposit some more loot, eh? Sure, you old fool. How do you like the news in the paper, Mr. Potter? Just can't keep those Bailey boys down now, can you? Oh, let me see that newspaper. Here, sorry I can't chat, you old thief. Got to make a deposit. Uh, here you are, Horace, deposit slip, bank book, and a very Merry Christmas to you. You too, Mr. Bailey. Say, you've forgotten something, haven't you? Horace, I've forgotten things all my life. Get a wiggle on, boy. But, Mr. Bailey, where's the money? Uh, What's that? You want to make a deposit? Well, certainly I want. Well, it's customary to bring the money with you. It's gone. Where'd I put it? Where'd I put that money? A terrible thing, Clarence. Terrible. Uncle Billy couldn't find the money because the envelope with the $8,000 was folded up in that newspaper he gave to old man Potter. I just don't know what happened to it, George. I just don't know. $8,000. Uncle Billy, the bank examiner's here, and it's not our money. It belongs to the depositors. George, what, what are we going to do? We've placed every step I took. We can't stand here in the street. Are you sure you didn't put that envelope in your coat pocket? I, I, I think so. Maybe. Maybe. Oh, I'm no good to you, George. I'm no good. Now listen to me. Now listen to me. Think. Think, will you? Now try and think. I... I can't think anymore. I, I can't. Where's that money, you silly old fool? You know what this means? It means bankruptcy and scandal and prison. One of us is going to jail. Well, it's not going to be me. Now, get out of my way. I'm going home. George, dear, what's wrong? You haven't said a word since you came home. Oh, well, that banging on that piano, does she have to just keep playing that same piece over and over and over and over again? What is it, dear? Another hectic day. Yeah. Yeah, another red-letter day for the baby. Dad, Murphy's got a brand-new car. You should see it. What's the matter with our car? Isn't it good enough for you? I'm sorry, Dad. I only... Run upstairs, Petey. See if Zuzu's all right. Okay, Mom. Now, what do you mean? What, see if Zuzu's all right. What do you mean? Oh, she caught a little cold coming home from school. She didn't button up her coat. Well, what is it? What, is, what do you mean, just a cold? George, the doctor said it was nothing serious. The doctor? Was the doctor here? Well, I thought he'd better look at her. It's this old drafty house. It's no wonder we don't all have pneumonia. We might as well be living in a refrigerator. Why did we have to live here in the first place and stay around this measly, crummy old town? George, what's happened? Everything's happened. You call this a happy family? Why do we have to have all these kids? Daddy, how do you spell Frankenstein? I don't know how you spell. You ask your mother. Where are you going? Upstairs to see Zuzu. Hello? Oh, thank you, Mrs. Welch. I'm sure she'll be all right. Who's that? Zuzu's school teacher. What? Oh, yes, the doctor says she'll be fine tomorrow. Here, give me that phone. George, please. Mrs. Welch? Well, this is Mr. Bailey. Say, what kind of a teacher are you, anyway? What do you mean, sending Zuzu home like that half-naked? Do you realize you probably end up with pneumonia just because of your stupidity? You know, maybe my kids aren't the best-dressed kids in town, but at least... Hello? Hello? Janie, will you stop playing that lousy piano? Cut it out! Stop it! George, for heaven's sake, what's wrong with you? I'm sorry. I'm... Janie, I'm sorry, Mary... I, I, I just got to get out of here. So, 
That's it, George. You're short $8,000 in your accounts, eh? Oh, please, Mr. Potter, I'll, I'll pay any sort of a bonus if you still want the building and loan. I, you say it I'll was let... lost. Have you notified the police? No, sir, I haven't done that yet. Harry's home. Oh, I come to me. What about your good friend Sam Wainwright? I can't get a hold of him. He's in Europe. What kind of security would I have, George? What collateral? Yes, sir, I have some life insurance here. $15,000 policy. Hmm? What's your equity in it? $500. And you want 8000 You once called me a warped, frustrated old man. Well, what are you but a warped, frustrated young man crawling on your hands and knees for help? Why don't you go to the riffraff you love so well? Ask them for help. I'll do anything, Mr. Potter, please. Please help me, Miss. My wife and kids... I'm calling the district attorney. $500. You know something, George? You're worth more dead than you are alive. Now get out of here. Get out. All the time, Potter had the $8,000 in his desk drawer. It's still there, Terrence. But where's George, sir? Where? Well, he went over to Martini's Cafe. He's had a couple of drinks, Clarence. He's just standing there, sort of in a day. Oh, God. Oh, God, dear Father in heaven, I... I'm, I'm not a praying man, but if... If you're up there... And, and you can hear me. Please show me the way. I'm at the end of my rope. I... Show me the way, God. Mr. Bailey, you all right? Don't drink anymore, Mr. Bailey. Please, you don't feel a good. Bailey? Did you say Bailey? Which Bailey? This gentleman is Mr. Bailey. George Bailey. George Bailey, huh? And the next time you talk to my wife like that, she'll get worse. It isn't enough. She slaves teaching your stupid kids how to read and write. You got to ball You get out of here, Mr. Welch. You hit my best friend. Get out. All right, um, oh. Mr. Bailey, you you okay? Who's that? Mr. Welch, but don't worry. He don't come in this place no more. I'll get something for your face. It's bleeding. I'm all right. Please don't go away, Let Mr. Mr. Bailey. Please don't go away. Well, George left Martini's Cafe five minutes ago, Clarence. He's at the river now, on the bridge, looking at the water. Are you ready, Clarence? All ready, sir. Very well. Save George Bailey's life, and you'll get your wings. My wings. Oh, thank you, Joseph. George! George Bailey! Get away from that bridge! You hear me? George! In just a moment, we'll bring you Act Three of It's a Wonderful Life, starring Jimmy Stewart, Donna Reed, and Victor Moore. despair, convinced, as Mr. Potter said, that he's worth more dead than alive, George Bailey stands on a bridge, staring at the dark and frigid waters below. Suddenly, there's a splash. Help! Help! I'm Help! Help! No, that's not George. It's Clarence, the apprentice angel. And there goes Georgian after him. Hmm. It's a few minutes later now, and in the bridge keeper's shack, George and Clarence are drying off. You both sure you're all right? You, you want a doctor? No, I'm all right. Oh, I'm fine. This underwear, I didn't have time to get anything more stylish. My wife gave me this on my last birthday. I passed away in it. You... 
You what, mister? Mm. I see Tom Sawyer is drying out, too. Who? My book. I left in such a hurry, I brought Tom Sawyer with me. Hey, how'd you happen to fall in? Oh, I jumped in. I jumped in to save you. Jumped in to save me? Well, I... I did, didn't I? You didn't go through with it, did you? Go through with what? Suicide. Hey, it's against the law to commit suicide around here. Yeah, it's against the law where I come from, too. <laughs> where do you come from? Heaven. Oh, that's very fine. Very your funny. your lips bleeding. Yeah, yeah, I got a bust in the jaw in answer to a prayer. <laughs> oh, no, George, I'm the answer to your prayer. Hey, how, how'd you know my name? Oh, I know all about you. Well, who are you supposed to be, anyway? Clarence Oddbody, A.S. 2. Clarence Oddbody. What's the, what's the A.S. 2 for? Angel, second class. Hey, I'm getting out of here. You may not need a doctor, but I do. Here you are, my good man. Hey, look here. Why do you want to save me? Because I'm your guardian angel, George. Oh, I see. Uh-huh. Well, you look like about the kind of an angel I'd get. What, <laughs> what, uh, what happened to your wings? Well, I haven't won my wings yet. That's why I'm an angel, second class. Oh, I see. But you can help me earn them, George, by letting me help you. Oh, uh, don't happen to have 8,000 bucks on you, do you? Oh, no, no, we, we don't use money in heaven. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I keep forgetting. Oh, I see. Comes in pretty handy down here, bub. <laughs> oh, tut, tut, tut. As I found it out a little late. You know, I'm worth more dead than alive. You mustn't talk like that. Joseph will never give me my wings if you keep feeling that way. You just don't realize what you've done for your folks. Why, if it hadn't been for yeah, you... Yeah, if it hadn't been time... for me, everybody would be better off. My wife and my kids and my friends. Oh, this is not going to be easy. I'd all be better off if I hadn't been born. What did you say? I said I wish I'd never been born. George, that's wonderful. It's wonderful? What? The idea you just gave me. Well, you've got your wish. You've never been born. I've never been born? Exactly. No worries, no $8,000 to get, nothing. You simply don't exist. All right, all right, okay, all right. George, I can do things, strange things. I can show you the world, George, the way it would be if you hadn't been born. Hey, wait, hey, wait a minute, this ear of mine. Hey, say something else in that bad ear. You don't have a bad ear anymore. Oh, I don't think you're concentrating. Oh. Don't you see? You're not the George Bailey you think you are. You're, well, uh, you're nobody. Oh, that's the doggonest thing I ever saw, that, that ear. Your lips stop bleeding, too. Yeah. Yeah, hey, hey what's, what's happening around here? What is this, anyway? I need a drink, that's what I need. What, what about you, Angel? You want a drink? Well, I, I don't quite know. Come on, come I... on. We'll go as soon as our clothes are dry. Clothes are dry, George. Hey, this, so they are. That's funny. Well, look, let's get dressed and we'll stroll over to Martini's and then... Uh, oh, excuse me. I mean, I'll stroll. You fly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, I don't have my You don't wings. have your wings yet. That's no. right. I forgot that I can. A couple of drinks and we'll both fly, huh? What'll you have, fellas? Hey, where's the boss? Where's Martini? Look, wise guy, I'm the boss, see? Okay, well, double scotch, quick, will you? What's yours? 
You know what? I just love some mulled wine. Huh? Heavy on the cinnamon and light on the cloves. Off with you, my lad, and lively now. Now, cut it out. Oh, come on, you. Just give him the same as I ordered. He's okay. Uh, two double scotch. What about this place? It's all changed. All of Bedford Falls has changed. You're having your wish, George. You've never been born. Oh, there'll be lots of things you've never seen before. <laughs> oh, good. Somebody just made it. Made what? Every time a bell rings, it means some angel's got his wings. What'd you say? Uh, look, uh, Clarence, I don't think you better talk about angels around here. You... Don't they believe in angels? Oh, yeah, they believe in them, but you know, it's just a little well, then thing. Then why should people be surprised when they see one? Uh, don't mind him, bartender. He's just a little fellow. He just never grew up. And how old are you anyway, Clarence? Well, next May, I'll be 293. That does it. A couple of pixies, huh? Go on, get you. Hear me, get. Where's Martini? Will you stop asking about Martini? He ain't here and he. Hey, you. Rami, didn't I tell you never to come panhandling around here? George, look. Hey, it's Mr. Gower. Mr. Gower. Listen, Mr. Gower, don't you know me? This is George Bailey. You. You buy me a drink, mister? Just one drink, will you, mister? Vicky! Yeah, Nick. Throw the rummy out. Oh, no, no, please. Hey, bartender, that's that's Mr. Gar, the druggist. That rum head spent 20 years in jail for poisoning some kid. If you knew him, you must be a jailbird yourself. Vicky, here's two more. Get him out of here. Get up, George. Good thing he threw us in a snowbank, huh? Where's, where's Mr. Gar? Mr. Gower doesn't know you, George. You see, you weren't there to stop him from putting poison into that prescription. What do you mean I wasn't there? Look, tell me, what are you? Are you a hypnotist? George. Look, well, why am I seeing all these strange things here? Don't you understand? It's because you were not born. Well, if I wasn't born, then who am I? Nobody. You have no identity. Well, what do you mean I have no identity? No papers, no driver's license, no 4F card, no insurance policy. Zuzu's bell. What? Zuzu's bell. I bought my little girl a bell to hang on the Christmas tree, and I forgot to give it to her. I've got it in my... I... It's gone. It's gone, too. Everything's gone. But you've been given a great gift, George. A chance to see what the world would be like if you'd never been born. You're crazy. You're crazy as a bedbug, and you're driving me crazy, too. Now look, I'm going home to my wife and family. Do you understand that? And I'm going home alone. Joseph, oh, I'll stay near him, sir. Poor George. He's seeing Main Street now the way it'd be if he hadn't lived. The thing that's really shocked him, sir, is the building and loan office. Know what's there now? Pawn shop. What's he doing? Can you see? He's talking to Ernie Bishop, the taxi driver. He wants to go home. You better tag along, Clarence. Oh, I will, sir. I will. Come on, step on it, will you, Ernie? Get me home. I'm off my nut. Where do you live, buddy? Oh, now, doggone it, Ernie. Don't you start pulling that stuff on me. 323 Sycamore. 323 Sycamore. Yeah, hurry. I'll put a Zuzu's sick. Okay, buddy. Hey, look, Ernie. I, I don't know what's happened. I'm going crazy or something. I've got some bad liquor. I... Now, look. Tell me this now. You're Ernie Bishop, right? And you live with your wife and kid, don't you? You've seen my wife? What do you mean? I've seen your wife. I've been in your house a hundred times. What do you... We, we built it for you, didn't we? Bud. My wife took the kid and ran away five years ago, and I ain't never seen you before in my life, see? Okay, Ernie, okay, okay, just step on it. Get me home.
Tiny Petey, Zuzu. Zuzu, where are you? This is just an old abandoned house, George. You have no wife, no children. Where are they? What have you done with them? Hey, I'll break that tin I told you. All right, up with your hands. Oh, Bert, Bert the cop. Thank heaven you're here. Now, look, why don't you be a good fella and I'll take you to a doctor. Bert, now, Bert, listen to me. What's the matter with you guys? Now, listen, it's that fellow there. He says he's an angel. He tried to hypnotize me. I hate to use my nightstick, but I guess I... Ow! Uh, run, George, run. He can't hit you while I'm Ow! biting him. George, run! My teeth aren't what they used to be. Joseph, help! Joseph! Joseph! Where'd they go, honey? Where'd they go? I, I, I don't know. They just disappeared. Oh, Joseph, I hope you don't mind my calling on you like I did. It was very irregular, Clarence. You're by yourself again. Where's George? He's at his mother's house, sir. Well, if George hasn't been born, he has no mother. Oh, he's being very stubborn, sir. He'll just have to find these things out for himself. But his mother, that's a terribly bitter blow to a man, his old mother not knowing him. You mean I shouldn't have let him... I mean you better find him right away. Oh, and stop fighting policemen, Clarence. I'm here again, George. My mother, my own mother didn't know me. If only Harry were here. My brother were only back from Washington. Your brother fell through the ice and was drowned at the age of nine. Well, that's a lie. He got the Congressional Medal of Honor. He saved the lives of every man on that transport. Every man on that transport died. Strange, isn't it? Each man's life touches so many other lives. Harry wasn't there to save them because you weren't there to save Harry. Don't you see, George, you really had a wonderful life. Don't you see what a mistake it would be to throw it away? Clarence? Yes? Where's Mary? Please, where's my wife? I, uh, I'm not supposed to tell. Tell me where she is. You're not going to like it, George. Where is she? I'll choke it out of you if I have to. Where's my wife? The library. She works there. She's just about to lock up for the night. So I, uh... George! George! Come back! Oh, there must be some easier way for me to get my wings. Mary. Mary. I'm sorry. The library's closed. Mary, it's George. Don't you know me? No, I don't know you. Let me go. Mary, please, don't do this to me, Mary. Please, help me. Help me. Where, where are our kids, Mary? I need you, Mary. Oh, get please. away from me. Help! Help! Help me. help me, Mary. I'm George. Mary! Clarence. Oh, where is he, Joseph? Where's George? I'm afraid I've lost him, sir. You knew you shouldn't have let him try to see Mary. Now they're after him. A mob. They think he was trying to hurt her. Joseph, I won't even get one wing, will I? You have one more chance, Clarence. Get over to the bridge by the river. I think George has seen just about enough. But, but the mob... Now don't worry. They've lost him, too. Now hurry up. Oh, thank you, Joseph. Thank you. Clarence. Clarence! Clarence, where are you? I'm here, George. Help me, Clarence. Get me back. I don't care what happens to me. Only get me back to my wife and kids, please. I want to live again. Oh, thank you, George. 
Thank you, boy. I want to live again, please. Oh, God, please let me live again. George? Is that you down there, George? Now, get out of here, Bert. Get out of here. You come in any closer, I'll, what I'll let you have it. What the hell are you yelling for, George? Come on. George. George, Bert. Bert, do you know me? No, yeah. I've been looking all over town for you. Where you been? Hey, Bert. Bert. I'm alive again, Bert. You sure you're all right? Hey, your mouth's bleeding. It is. Hey, my mouth's bleeding. Bert, look at, look at the blood come out of there, would you? Huh? And where's Zuzu's Christmas bell, Bert? I had it right in my pocket. Here it is! Hey, it's in my pocket. What do you know about it? Hey, Merry Christmas, Bert! Well, Merry Christmas. Get in the car. I'll drive you home. You will, Bert? We'll do that. I turn the siren wide open, huh? Merry Christmas, Bedford Falls. Hey, Merry Christmas, old building alone. Merry Christmas, Mr. Potter. Yippee! Come on. Hey, Bert, come on, come on in with me, huh? What are the, these people, these reporters? Hey, oh, oh, Merry Christmas, reporters. Hey, Mr. Bank Examiner, Merry Mr. Christmas. Mr. Bailey, there's a deficit. I know, $8,000, I'll bet, huh? George, I've, I've got a little paper here. I'm sorry. Oh, I, I bet it's a warrant for my arrest. Isn't that wonderful? Merry Christmas. Hey, where's Mary, you know? Uh, look at this wonderful old drafty house. Shouldn't it wonder? Have you seen my wife? Where's Mary? Yes, Mary! Hey, kid, Janie, Petey. Hey, oh, I could eat you up. Where's your mother? She went looking for you, Daddy, with Uncle Billy. Oh, yeah. Daddy. Zuzu, my little ginger snap. How do you feel, huh? Fine, Daddy. Not a snitch of temper. Not a snitch of temper. Hallelujah. George, George, darling. It's Mommy. Mommy's home. Mary. George, where have you been? Mary, oh, George, oh, Mary, George. Now, look, just let me touch you. Oh, you're real, Mary. Oh, you've no idea what happened uh, to me. You've no idea what's happened either. They're on their way here. Who? Who's on their way? Oh, the police department? I don't... Uh, the FBI? The National Guard? I'm alive again, Mary. Oh, listen, Mary, I'm alive again. Oh, yes, darling, yes. Now, now, close your eyes and, and come on downstairs. Oh, you... What is it? Can't open my eyes yet, Mary? What's going on here? Now, now keep your eyes closed. Now, I'll just walk you over here by the Christmas tree and... Well, the people I hear, but lots of people. What, what is it? Lots of people. Just one minute now. We're all ready, Uncle Billy. Come in, everybody. George, look. Just look. Uncle Billy. Money, George. A laundry basket filled with money. Money for you. Mary did it, George. Mary. I don't understand. What money? What... People heard you in trouble, darling. These people, your friends, they've collected this money for you. The $8,000. Charlie. Hey, there's Mar- there's Martini. Uh, Mr. Gower. Hey, how are you, Mr. Gower? Mrs. Thompson, Ed, Tom, everybody. Huh? None of us would have a roof over our heads if it wasn't for you, George. Oh, Garth, this is wonderful. Hey, Mary, look. Look who's coming in. Mother. Hi, Mother. Hey, and Harry. Got Mary's telegram, George. I flew in as fast as hey, I could. Hey, everybody, a toast. How about a toast? Lord, good idea, Ernie. A toast to my big brother, George, the richest man in town. Adventures of Tom Sawyer. Lord, there's something written in it. Dear George, remember no man is a failure who has friends. Thanks for the wings, love, Clarence. Clarence? Yeah, he's a very dear friend of mine. Daddy, this is well sick. Every time a bell rings, an angel gets his wings. That's right, Zuzu. That's right. 
That's right. Atta boy, Clarence. Atta boy, Clarence. Happy landing. And that was James Stewart and Donna Reed in the Lux Radio Theatre's adaptation of It's a Wonderful Life. It must have been tough to condense a 130-minute film down into about 45 minutes of broadcasting. And obviously you do lose a lot of the small things. But as radio adaptations go, that's a good one. If you haven't seen the film, though, do run and add it to this year's viewing list. Just time to remind you that next week's episode will be the Christmas special, which I've been assembling for the past few weeks. I'm very much looking forward to putting it out. It's been good fun. So, uh, so do join me for that. I do have a new feature for my episodes coming in the new year that I'd love for you all to be involved in. It's called Basil Rathbone versus the World. So I'll be giving you more details on that soon. Do try and leave an iTunes review, if you haven't already. And do try to get to AdibleClarence.com and watch the remaining Sherlock Holmes movies as part of the film club they're about to finish. Thank you very much for listening, and I will see you next week for the Attaboy Clarence Christmas special. Merry Christmas, and bye for now. As a long-time foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts.